The scripture reading is one verse from Hosea in the Old Testament, followed by the first two verses of Romans 12 in the New Testament. Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. Now, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, reading from the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I wanted to start with a story about someone that I knew growing up. After a very long time, this person finally started dating someone. He was so smitten with his new girlfriend that we didn't see him for months. And when he finally came out of his stupor, we would tease him about how uh, he disappeared from our lives. Like, where did you go for all this time? And, And we would just kind of bug him about it. And I remember thinking that I would never do something like that, that my girlfriend will become friends with my friends and we will see each other all the time. Things won't change for me because my group of friends and I, we were so tight. We did everything together. So a, a, a girlfriend in my life, that wouldn't make any difference. Well, then, then I, might, I met Jin, who would later on become my wife. And isn't this how love is? When you are in love, it is all-encompassing, especially at the beginning of the relationship, right? When it feels so alive. You are crazy in love and can't think of anything else but that other person, whether it's waiting for a phone call, the desire to see them every moment, or rearranging your name with hers to see how they would fit together. It truly feels all-encompassing. In the story of Homer, uh, Homer, Hosea Hosea and Gomer, or together Gomer, or Homer, uh, God commands Hosea to marry Gomer, who was, as you would say, uh, not the ideal marriage type. Hosea was to marry an adulterous wife who will later on have unfaithful kids or according to God. Their first kid will be named after a place of death called Zezreel. The second child will be named Not Loved. And the third child will be called Not My People. Why? It's because the people of Israel, who God had loved as his own bride, as his own children, 
have become like an adulterous spouse and like an unfaithful child. They have abandoned their commitments to their God and have sought out after other gods and have forgotten the love and faithfulness of uh, their God, Yahweh. We don't know if the story of Hosea and Gomer has, uh, act- had actually happened, but the point isn't whether or not this event uh, was a-, a historical event, but rather the point of the story is this. God is a faithful God, a faithful spouse, even if his people are unfaithful and are adulterous. And this is the background in which we read what God says in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. Even though the Israelites have time and time again have been unfaithful to their God, God will continue to stay faithful to them. Here he refers back to the promise he had made to Abraham and reminds them that they will number, their children will number the, uh, the sand of the sea. In the Bible, God equates our relationship with him in many different ways. He says that we are like the clay and he is the potter. We are his sheep and he is the shepherd. We are his servants and he is our master or king. We are his children and he is our father. And here we see that God is our lover and we are his beloved. Just as a husband longs and wants to be with his wife uh, and, and wants his wife to be faithful to him, God longs to be with us and wants us to be faithful to only him. When I was reflecting on this passage and, and how God would stand by faithfully even when his people would not, I thought about the movie Forrest Gump. This movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. In the movie, there's a character named Forrest Gump who has been in love with his friend, his only friend, Jenny. In the movie, Forrest tells Jenny this. He says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. (laughs) Okay, so that's that's my best impression I could do. (laughs) All right. So he waits for Jenny his whole life as she lives her life trying to find herself and eventually comes home to him. He doesn't question her past, but accepts her and loves her until her death. It's a great movie. You need to see it. If you know anything about the movie, Forrest Gump has some mental uh, delays, and I'm not equating God to that, but when I thought about someone waiting for their loved one to finally come back to him, That unwavering and unmoving love of God reminded me of Forrest Gump. Gomer, who was characterized as an adulterous wife, after the time of having their third child, have left Hosea. In the story, God commands Hosea to take back Gomer, 
to show his love for his wife again, even though she is with another man. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, God says, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. God equates his love for his people to that of a spouse who has been cheated on, to a faithful, loving spouse who will, who will take back their unfaithful partner. The Israelites who have turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. If I were God, I would also be upset with people who loved raisin cakes. Like, come on, ew, I hate raisins. And God, God is saying, you chose raisins cakes over me? Come on, at least you could have chosen something like chocolate cakes, but raisin cakes? So what were these sacred raisin cakes? They were among the delicacies of the day and had been eaten and may have been eaten as part of false worship of other gods. One commentator put it this way. It is, uh, puts it as the food of the religious nymphomaniac who seeks spiritual and material gratification from other gods than Yahweh. Like, I can't imagine the pain I would feel if my wife was unfaithful to me. The kind of betrayal I would feel would be devastating. Is this what God feels when we are lured away by the sacred raisins, raisin cakes of our world? Is this what God feels when our hearts are so easily swayed by the gods of money, luxury, or pleasure? For the past eight weeks, we've been looking at the importance of integrating our faith with our emotional maturity, that growing in our faith and in our emotional maturity are very closely related. We cannot expect to grow spiritually without growing emotionally. And we looked at what lies beneath the surface and looked deeper into ourselves to find that God is there even in the things that we may not want to look at ourselves. And today is our last week in this series, and we're looking at the idea of the rule of life in our small groups and in our, in our common curriculum. We have touched on the rule of life before as the support system to help us in our growth with God. And the way I want us to look at the rule of life this week is to see it in light of us loving God. The rule of life is there to help us in our all-encompassing love for God. There are two stories from the Bible that I want to turn your attention to. One is about the story about a woman, and the other is about Peter. Jesus is eating with the Pharisee at the Pharisee's home when this sinful woman comes and washes the feet of Jesus with perfume and her tears. The Pharisee judges Jesus and says to himself that if Jesus was a prophet, he would not let this sinner touch him. And listen to what Jesus says about this woman. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. The second story is of Peter, the apostle, who has denied Jesus three times and is now sitting with Jesus after the resurrection. And Jesus asks him three times the question, 
Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in each instance, Peter responds, Jesus, I, I love you. And if you read these two stories in light of God's view of us as his spouse, as in, in light of the story of Hosea and Gomer, that God, in who he, whom he is in love with, what we see is that Jesus doesn't care that the woman was a sinner, nor that Peter denied him three times. What he cares about is whether or not they love him. In the story of the woman, she is forgiven because she has loved much. In the story of Peter, Jesus doesn't even excuse him of denying him, but asks him the question if he loves Jesus. I know that we all know this, but let me say this to you. God loves you. God loves you so much that he calls you his beloved. He loves you so much that even when we do not love him back and are unfaithful to him, he still loves us. It is because of his everlasting, unwavering, long-suffering love, we are compelled to love him back. I really like the way the Romans passage is translated in the message translation, and I think it speaks well to uh, what we've been talking about in terms of the rule of life. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down into a level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Take your everyday, ordinary life and offer that up to God. Don't let the sacred raisins of our culture become so part of who we are, but instead fix our eyes on Jesus, who loves us more than life itself. God wants to bring the best out of us and wants to form us into a people of maturity. So, so what does this mean for us? First, I think it's important for us to embrace the reality that God loves us more than life itself. He loves you more than life itself because he was willing to die for you. He was willing to give himself up in his love for you. This is how much he loves you. He loves you as a, part, a parent, their child. He loves you as a husband, their wife. He loves you with an everlasting, unwavering love. And we need to let God's love reach into the very depth of our being. We need to let him into our most vulnerable places. Just as our closest friends or our most intimate relationships will know us in ways that others won't, we need to invite God and into those places, into those places, and let His love, um, um, let His love just be in there. We need to accept God's love and and uh, embrace it. 
Secondly, we need to respond to his love with love. Like, what does it mean for us to be in love with God? How do we fall in love with him? I think we need to, to learn how to delight in God, to just enjoy him. We don't just go to God every time we need something from him or out of fear or even out of obligation. It's not some sort of superstition, you know, that if, if we follow him, maybe he'll just do good things for us. Can we take time to just delight in him as we would with our lover? Can we just be in his presence and enjoy him? One of the ways that I found that I can enjoy God in his presence is through singing songs of praise. The only reason I ever learned to play the guitar was because I wanted to sing songs of praise to him on my own. So that was the only reason I ever was even motivated to learn to play the guitar. It's because I wanted to sing this love song to God, and I just enjoyed that time with him. And I find that when I sing a song to God, it it helps me express that deeper desire for him. I also enjoy taking long walks by the beach with him. (laughs) No, but seriously, yeah, I I like taking walks with with God and, and just enjoying him in creation. I think another way that we can enjoy God is by looking at the things that we ourselves enjoy. I think God has made us all so very differently. And so if you connect with something different than I do, that doesn't mean you love God less or you can't love God in those ways. Like one, this one person I know, he would never think singing uh, a song would be for him a way of expressing love for God. One thing, though, that he is really into is math. He loves math. And he could spend hours just working through an equation, which, you know, God bless him for, for, for that love. But, you know, one, one time I, I encouraged them, think about that passion you have for math. Guess what? I think God can meet you even in your love for math. So it's not just about praying or reading the Bible or coming to worship, although those things I think are very critical of how we love God. But I think God we can love God even in the things that we enjoy in life because God himself created those, those things and he is in those things. So even for my friend who may just love solving math problems, that even in that joy that he has, God can meet him in that place. And it could be a way of us, of him, loving God through solving math. I think Psalm 63, 1-5 is a great example of this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as, the, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David, was, who wrote the psalm, was known as a man after God's own heart. 
would we be known as people who love God? I talked about how in the beginning of a relationship, you can feel this love for someone like that is all-encompassing. We know that in many ways that these feelings change and can even deepen over time, but it can also fade. We also recognize that it's not just about feelings, but rather a complete reordering of our lives. What we used to think is important doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. We, we would rather spend time with our loved one than others. So as we do in marriages and in any important relationship in our lives, we commit and put the effort to make it work. Just as in a marriage vow, we, we make a commitment to love one another through thick and thin. And God has made that commitment with us. The Old and New Testament is also referred to as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or the Old Promise and the New Promise. And the Bible can be viewed as the promise that God has made with all humankind. It is like a marriage vow where he has chosen to love us even when we are unfaithful. So what does it look like for us to make that commitment to God? I think the rule of life is one way of making that commitment to God. It's a way of structuring our lives so that we can love God more. For some of us, this is free-flowing, where we do not have to set up a schedule or to put something down on paper. For, some, for others, it may mean that we need to put it on paper. We need to put things down so that we can better structure our lives. And whether or not you need something on paper, I think taking time, the time to reflect on the different areas of your life, of how God has made you uniquely, and what are the ways in which you can connect with God, I think it's important to discern that and to take time for that. And if any of you are interested in working through this rule of life, we've, we've created a resource uh, about a year ago that you can take a look at even now and work through. And if you're interested, please email us at the church office and we will give you a soft copy. When I started dating Jen, I realized something about love. I was going to call her Jenny. <laughs> it can be all-encompassing. Remember that someone that I was talking about, a friend of mine? Well, it was, it was me. It wasn't that my friends didn't matter, but rather I wanted to spend time with Jim. When, when I got married, I made that commitment to love her through sickness and health until death do us apart. And I don't spend time with her because I have to or because I have to put in my dues, but it's because I want to. In the same way, God wants to spend time with us because he wants to. He just wants to. Because he loves and enjoys our presence. But I get it, though. The pull is real. We live in a world that vies for our love and our attention. There are many sacred raisin cakes that are pulling our attention and love away from God. Yet we know that in the midst of our, our wayward hearts that God has committed to love us as in a marriage vow. That even when we are to break that vow, he will hold on to his side of the vow. He won't stop loving us and he is waiting for us to respond to his love. Let us embrace that truth that 
that, that God wants from, that all that God really wants from us is to respond to his love. How can we delight and fall in love with God? And Jesus is asking all of us this question. Do you love me? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you like us and that you want us and that we are chosen by you. That you want to spend time with us, that you want to get to know us even though you already do know us. But you, you just want us to uh, be in your presence. And I pray like that song that talked about how your love awakens us. I pray that you would awaken us from our stupor, from, from the things of this world that, that vie for our attention, that, that lure us away. Awaken us with your love. That we would recognize the beauty and, and the joy and the glory that, that we can um, enjoy being in your presence and, and being in love with you. God, I know that you are wooing us and, and all, are always calling us to you and are waiting for us. Soften our hearts, God. Help us to be able to respond. Help us to be compelled to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen.